remember the first week when we did it and we were recording. And I, <laughs> why, is, why are we getting so many drunk? Oh my gosh. That was because it's using up half your memory trying to, trying to store it. I know, right? All right, you ready? I'm ready. Quiet on the set. Hey, good morning. I'm Chris Perry. And I have the amazing privilege of being the teaching pastor at Christchurch, which is absolutely amazing. So uh, it means so much to me personally and Stephen uh, that you're here and you've logged on Facebook Live. Uh, please stay with us. Uh, the teaching this morning, uh, man, it's going to be for me. <laughs> I need this this morning. I think it's also going to be for you. And, and I would ask that you just stay with us, okay? Don't scroll off. Stay with us. I need your participation in this. Christchurch, it would mean so much to me. Just let us know you're here. Just say, hey, we're here and be a part of this. Um, I need the connection. I need the sense of our cohesion and unity during this time. Uh, the isolation is very, very frustrating on me. I am not doing well, as they say. And uh, it would just mean a lot to me to do that and also to Stephen. So, Thank you so much for, for being a part of this this morning. We're going to be focusing on Psalm 9, which is truly amazing. So you might want to turn there. While you're doing that, let me uh, do a couple of shout-outs. First of all, uh, Philip's here. Philip Deer and Kayla Derrick mean so much that they're here, and, and I know you're going to be hearing from them. So thank you guys for being a part of this. It means so much. And uh, also, big shout-out to Philip Deer graduated, completed his work at the University of Arkansas for Medical Science uh, Sciences and earned his doctorate in pharmacy. And huge, huge accomplishment for him. Also want to do a shout out to Savannah Perkins, graduating from Mount St. Mary Academy. Uh, tough school, really good school, and she has done so well. And really, really proud of her. So shout out to those. Also want to do a big shout out to some guys and folk that helped um, with Shannon and Frank Vega. They're getting ready for their move out to Littleton, Colorado. In fact, Frank is actually en route right now. And then um, also helping Michelle move. She bought a home, which is a huge deal. So uh, Matt Powell, Gabriel Ward, uh, Mason Collar, Amy Howard, and Pastor Stephen Vaughn just worked really hard. And, and that means so much to see how our church is caring for each other and, and just serving, just caring and serving means so very, very much. So, okay, um, ready to get into the scriptures. Before we do that, um, I want to remind you of a couple things, Christchurch. Get ready for the Lord's Supper. This is a key way that we worship together as family in Christ. We are followers of the way of Jesus. And some of us, like me, we stumble and bumble and fumble along, but we still follow we, even if we're at a crawl, we still follow the way of Jesus. And one of those things that we do is we take the Lord's Supper, which is a reminder of how the death of Christ brings life to us, okay? And I want you to be a part of that with us. It's really, really important, okay? It's not some cold, sterile, irrelevant symbol that we do. It is actually something that is beautiful and uh, 
helps us to know and realize fully our walk with Christ, okay, and the life that we find in Jesus. So, all right, I want to pray, and, and then we're going we're gonna to jump right in. Um, Abba Father, thank you for each person that's online right now. Thank you for Julie Patterson being here. It just means so much, Frank Pearson and others. God, would your presence be so real to us right now? Um, we we want to submit ourselves to you and your word. Your word is life, flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that brings life. And uh, we literally just say, hey, here we are. Please work deeply in our lives. Thank you so much. And I'm asking for your grace right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, also, a reminder that... Um, we're going to be, um, I'm going to be asking you for comments, uh, for solid biblical counsel. You're free to ask questions. As we go through the teaching, I want you to do that. Uh, Steve and Michael's here, Philip and Kayla, and they'll help us field those things. But especially toward the end, when we're getting down to the life application, that is something that we own together as the body of Christ. If you study the New Testament, particularly the, the writings of Paul at it is very clear that this, this idea of how we live out our faith does not belong to pastors. That is not the job of a pastor to tell you how to live your life. That might sound like some shock or some scandalous comment. It is not. If you study the scriptures, it becomes very clear the entire body of Christ together comes together and literally owns and bears the burden of how we live out our faith. It's not just something pastors figure out and pastors tell us what to do. Uh, no, that is absolutely not a New Testament teaching. It is a New Testament teaching that the entire body, the gifted body, those who are gifted in prophecy, discernment, encouragement, those who are, have, have gifts of mercy, all those gifts come together from everybody, from the greatest to the least, male, female, rich, poor, doesn't matter. We are leveled out in Christ. There are no uh, socioeconomic and even gender boundaries in Christ. We come together and we literally own that we are the family and we walk together. And so when it comes to life application, Christ Church, I need you to own that thing and to share what the Spirit of God is communicating to you, okay? Really need you to do that. So get ready to be a part of that. Remember, there's about 30-second lag time, so the, the sooner you get those things in, the better. But we're also, uh, we're not going to rush this thing either. So, all right, you ready? Psalm 9. A couple of intro comments. What are the Psalms? Well, the Psalms are songs. Uh, they're literally like writings, poetry, lyrics to songs set to music. Sometimes they're to be sung personally. Sometimes it's with a choir. Sometimes it's with instruments. But the Psalms are above all things an honest heart cry out to God, to Yahweh. When you read the Psalms of David, you think, Whoa, does that dude suffer from bipolar? Because he's like over here and he's saying, God, I don't know if you care. And God, you're ignoring me and it's bad. And I thought you loved me. And then, boy, he'll swing way back over here. And you're like, oh, God, you're so good to me. And you're just, you're there all the time and you're so near. And, and, he, and he goes in these big sweeps and these big swings of emotion and even swings in belief and conviction in many ways. And when I was a young follower of Jesus, I would read that and I'd be like, whoa, 
Paul, you need to get stable, dude. You need to settle down and, and be consistent. And then as I became an older man and watched how my life lacked stability and how my faith was kind of bumbling along, I went, wow, I'm just like uh, like David. Man, I have my swings. You're so near God. You you just know everything about me. You even know my thoughts before I can even say a word. Oh, my goodness, you're so close. And then I can go like, God, where are you? What's the deal? Are you ignoring my prayers? What's the matter? Don't you care? I'm down here and it's like, I got this mess and you're doing nothing about it. What's going on? And that I find myself, I can swing in those those ways too. Maybe you can relate to that. Uh, I, I, maybe, I hope not. I hope your faith is so steady. You're like a rock and, you, and you're amazing. But for me, as for me, man. I, I can do that very thing too sometimes. So the Psalms are heart cries. They're put their lyrics on paper, sometimes put to music, but they're really a way to worship. They're a way to, to take our humanity and our faith journey with God, with Yahweh, and let them know how, how we're feeling, what's going on inside, okay? That's a really healthy thing to do. Uh, I want you to know if, if you're logging on for the first time, Please stay with me. Listen to this. Uh, God is not upset uh, with your problems. Okay? Uh, You don't do a shock and awe thing with God. All right? He understands you. Okay? And you're not going to... His throne isn't teetering on the verge of falling over and, and, and making a mess just because you have questions or even doubts or even you're angry. Or deep inside, uh, things are getting so dark that you're wondering if your life even has any purpose. That doesn't cause shock and awe with God, okay? He understands you. He understands pain. He understands the brokenness of the human heart. My encouragement this morning is I want you to walk through a section of Psalm 9 with me to understand that it's okay to be human, okay? It's okay, and we're going we're gonna to talk about problems and where you take those problems but I want you to know that God God wants you to be honest with him and that's one thing the Psalms really have accomplished in my life that that I have as a follower of Jesus permission to get honest with myself and with my God and that's a beautiful thing so I want to read from Psalm 9 and it's going to be verses 7 to 10 just a real simple section this is how the scriptures read But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. And he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Amazing. Let's walk through some of this, okay? The Lord abides forever. Abide, yeshav in Hebrew, abides. Um, In Greek, it's meno, and John likes that word. Uh, But in Hebrew, yeshav, it can be translated to sit down and stay in place, kind of stay put. It's uh, for an Israeli mindset uh, is Israel uh, has a lot to do with real estate, right? It's, it's land. It's land mass. It's a land promised 
to Israel. And so when you talk about abide, and you're going to hear with kind of Hebrew ears, you're talking about staying put in land or territory that belongs to you. And the idea here is that Yahweh, the God in Hebrew, Hashim, the, the holy name of God, um, he abides. His throne is set. It's set. And it's a place that is very permanent. And he sits on his throne. And then the language of judgment comes in here. The Lord abides forever. And he has established, built his throne for judgment. That's a concern for some of us. Um, I don't think it has to be. I think it can be a really beautiful idea that God knows how to judge. And God knows how to judge righteously and with equity. Let's talk about those two ideas. God's throne is a throne of judgment and a judgment for what is right and what is of equity. Here's the idea. Um, God knows the difference between right and wrong, okay? Um, Hey, Psalms are about honesty. Let's get honest for a second. Sometimes we're not sure. Sometimes for a lot of reason, whether it's our own histories, our own junk, our own baggage, our own distortions of things or, or this, the deep-set selfishness that, we, that exists inside of us, the brokenness inside of us. We sometimes blur what is right and what is wrong, and we sometimes are drawn to this gray area because it's in a gray area that we think we can, we can be, maybe best explain our humanity or something like that. But the fact is God's throne is established for judgment, and he will judge in righteousness. Hey, that's something we got to settle. Is God a God who does righteous or is God a God who does stupid? Uh, Can we trust him? Is God right? Yes, we can trust him. His throne is established for judgment. He will judge. God will make all wrongs right. Um, And it's important for me that I settle in and take comfort that my God is a righteous God. And when he renders judgment, that he always does so out of a righteous motive. God doesn't make mistakes. You know, he's not like the parent that's tired, comes home from work, and the kids are, I don't know, disobedient or messy, just being kids, and, and dad just loses his temper, and he screams at the kids, and the kids are all scared, and they go running to mommy, and they're crying, daddy scared us, and oh, daddy is bad dad, bad dad. And dad's going to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I messed up. You know, okay, maybe we as dads or moms do that sometimes. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't lose it emotionally. God judges in righteousness, and he judges with equity. Equity, uh, it's really an unusual word. It means something that is completely smooth and completely even. Um, think Think of a pair of scales. When God makes a ruling, it's, it, it's always with equity. It's not off. In, you know, the balance is off. It's always smooth and even. God knows how to make a good decision. God can be trusted. And when your little boy heart, uh, your little girl heart comes to the place where you can trust him, it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. He will judge the world in righteousness. God's not out of control. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. Look at how he describes some people. He describes these people uh, that the Lord will be a stronghold for the oppressed, dach in Hebrew, which means learn to crush. People who are crushed, uh, weighted down with, with oppression. 
Uh, man, a great time to pause and ask the question, what's crushing you? You know, what's crushing me? What's going on inside that you feel like life, the enemy, whatever it is, it, it's so heavy, you feel literally oppressed and crushed under the weight of this mess. The Lord is a stronghold for the the oppressed. Uh, stronghold uh, in Hebrew, it's really it's a beautiful word. And it simply means that which is high, that which is up. A stronghold having the advantage of the upper ground. God is a stronghold in a higher area above the enemies. Uh, like a rock. David said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. Do you understand this, Christ Church? That God is a safe place. Do you understand? His children can come running to him and find the high ground, find safety. He's a stronghold for the oppressed, and he's a stronghold in times of trouble, uh, unsettling times, things that disturb, things that, that, that cause stress and, and trouble. By the way, uh, a little bit of honesty here, a little bit of getting at some of these words in Hebrew. The word for trouble here can also be translated, or rather I should say has been translated, to be in a bad marriage. Wow, to be in a bad marriage, yeah. Um, the Lord will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold, the high ground, the safe place, even when in you're, in, you're in a bad marriage and, and you feel weighted down by those things. Wherever you are, whether, whether you feel crushed by the COVID-19 or you feel crushed because you, your, your business is under tremendous stress in this isolation or your marriage is stressed out and, and you feel weighted down by a competitive kind of warring spouse, you know, it doesn't matter. Your kids are breaking your heart or, or, or you feel forsaken by friends, whatever the case may be. God is a stronghold. His word is clear that he can give you the high ground of safety. And then look at verse 10. This is particularly special to me. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. The word knowledge, you know your name. It's a word that it's personal knowledge. And it, it's a word that implies in, in Hebrew that you can make a distinction between that name and this name. You know the name of God, Yahweh, is his personal name. Hashim, Adonai, Eloheinu, all these words that describe God. You know that there's a difference between the name of God and your name. And you can tell the difference between the two. Or the name of Yahweh, the name of God, and the name of your parents, or the name of a friend. You have the ability to make a distinction. You know, if the name of God for you is is lowered down to just common human names, you're, you're missing it. You're missing the life-giving truth that the name of God is really special and <clears throat> very, very different. His name is above all names. The name of Jesus is a name above all names. You can't take the name of Jesus and put it down on the same level as Chris or Stephen or Michael or Kayla or Philip or something. It, you can't commonize the name of Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. You can't do that. If you do that, or you treat his name like it's just some common household word, his name has lost meaning and you're missing out on the significance of the sacred name. Uh, there's a teaching in the Old Testament that says 
God will move on behalf of Israel, not because Israel has earned it, because they're righteous, the flawless obedience of Israel. No, God has moved for his own name's sake, because the name of God, Yahweh, Adonai, Yehovah, is a sacred name, and it's a name above all names. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. Hey, nothing, nothing complicated there. Do you trust God? And do you understand that his name is sacred? And that you can trust the name that when you pray, he hears. Uh, For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says, Those who come to me, I will not cast them out. Isaiah 55, verse 6 Verse 6, seek him out. Seek the Lord while he may be found, while he's near. There's something absolutely beautiful about seeking out the Lord and seeking him with all your heart. He will not forsake you when you seek him. You might say to me, Chris, are you kidding? Me go to God with this mess of a life that I live? Uh, he's not, if I knock on the door, he's not going to let me in. And I want to say, dear friend, the opposite is true. When we are humble and broken and we seek out God, even with all the baggage, with all the, the stuff that's going on, even with our doubts, he will not forsake us. Please don't scroll off. I know the Holy Spirit is speaking. I, I prayed that God's Spirit would speak truth to the heart of those who believe. Uh, if, if you have a question, I want you to send that to us, okay? Christchurch, own this thing. You are the gifted body of Christ. Men, I need to hear from you. Men, speak up. Use your gifts. Ladies, speak up. Use your gifts. We will not, we will not deny the gift of prophecy, the speaking forth of the truth of God and how that applies to our life. I want you to own this thing. Send in your comments. Send in questions if you have a question. I need to proceed and, and, and help you understand just how critical this is. I want to talk about one way this applies to our life. Those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Stay with me here. Um, I want you to hear, I don't want anybody to misunderstand this. Regardless of what your problem is, a little one, a big one, it, it, you got people problems, you got marriage problems, you got friend problems, uh, everybody's ignoring you and you wish somebody to pay attention to your problems, whatever the case may be. I want you to know that we can take those to God, okay? And he'll never forsake us in, in the honesty of, of our hearts seeking him out. There is no shame with God. You're not going to shock him and, and, and you're not going to make him sweat bullets or something like that. God knows you. He knows everything about you. And he loves you, okay? He loves you in the most profound way that a human being can be loved. And that love is revealed through Jesus Christ, all right? He wants you to seek him. Please walk with me in this. When we have when we have people problems, you know, you're not getting along with someone, 
We can take that to God. But you know what God usually does? He encourages us. He speaks grace and truth to us. And he turns us around and marches us right back in. And he says, hey, you're my follower. I want you to go back to that person. And I want you to love them. I want you to walk in grace and truth with them. And I want you to learn how to be a good friend. I want you to learn how to be a good family member. I want you, you ready? Let's, let's cut to the chase here. I want you to live out the fruit of my spirit in your relationships. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I want you to live out those qualities in your relationships and watch what happens when you do that. So when we seek out God and we bring our problems to him, do it, do it. But remember, sometimes he turns us right around and says, hey, I want you to go back and I want you to make sure that the fruit of my spirit is being lived out in your relationships. When we seek him, man, he'll encourage us, but he'll also tell us to go and seek people to do ministry. Christianity, it's not just, it's not like the Dead Sea, you know, one way in and no way out. No, 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 no. It, it, it's, we're a living spring. We have the spring, uh, the water of life in us, and it comes out. He wants us to do relationships, and he wants us to speak the truth and grace that, that brings life to other people. Let me read this again, and then Christ Church, I'm going to turn it over to you. The Lord abides forever. He doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We may change. God does not. He stays put. And he has established his throne for judgment. His throne is majestic. It is full of glory and honor and power and authority. And he will judge the world in righteousness. He knows what he's doing. Even if our government doesn't. Even if governors get it all wrong. And I, I mean, I love the parodies that, that are out there right now on Facebook and Instagram about this whole COVID-19 stuff. You know, all business should be closed so we don't spread the disease. Unless those business that has to be open, which can also spread the disease. You know, and the contradictions and the, the, the wordplay is just hilarious about this whole thing. God knows what he's doing, even if we don't. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. And he will do so with equity. He's even and, and balanced in this. God doesn't play favorites. He won't. The Lord will be a stronghold, the high place for the oppressed, for those who are, are pressured in and bound and, and struggling in times of trouble. Those who truly know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. You're the body of Christ. I want you to take ownership of these things. I want you to speak wisdom well. People are listening. They're watching from around the U.S. Dear friends, uh, Julie and others, uh, Latoya and others, I want you to speak truth and grace. How do we live out the teaching and the encouragement of Psalm 9, verses 7 to 10? Stephen, Philip, guys, do we have some comments that we can start with? Yeah, so I'm so thankful for the body of Christ and um, it's kind of so thankful for uh, everyone for commenting. Um, we'll start off with David Fort. David says, in my journey with Christ, 
I find his uh, find his stronghold, not meaning that he will solve every problem that happens to me or others, but to mean that he is with me and others through the storms that hit hard upon us. He is my lighthouse when I feel like I am drowning and lost. He is uh, His light is his way to show me back to him. He also will guide us through these storms, mm-hmm. uh, will show us the best way to face the waves of life. And uh, it's just, that is so awesome. A mm-hmm. uh, couple more. Um, Michael Bortowski uh, in replying to David, and we are the lighthouse keepers tasked with keeping the flame burning so all can see the way. Uh, Christina Becerra says, when we pursue God as our stronghold, the other strongholds in our lives lose power. Mm-hmm. Then David, uh, or excuse me, Randy Sharp has a couple questions here. How did David respond to God when things did not go the way he, he had wanted or expected? How do we respond when our prayers are not answered? even when praying within biblical truth. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then uh, Michael actually replied to Randy, uh, saying that he was real, plain and simple. When he was angry, he didn't play the Sunday morning church game and quote-unquote lie to God. Um, Hmm. Well, um, thank you. I want to respond to a couple of those. Um, Philip and and Kayla, feel free to jump in here too. So, uh, Christina Becerra, my, my dear sis in Christ, listen, you know what the high ground feels like. You've been in Colorado. I think you're up at like, what, 13,000 feet or something like that. You know what the high ground feels like. And wow, what a safe place it is to be on the high ground. Uh, that's a perspective that I think gets at the Hebrew language here in Psalm 9, that God has a stronghold. You are above the mess. He is above the mess. And he wants to take us to the safe place. Uh, Randy, thank you. You always ask the most salient questions. And I appreciate that, my dear friend. So a couple of things, Randy, in response to your question. First of all, David, wow, that dude, sometimes he got it right. You know, he nails it. And we, we, and we agree with God of God's uh, assessment of David that he, through all his humanity, is still a man after his own heart. And so we can't you know, disagree with God because he does, he does judge with righteousness and equity. So he gives, he gives that moniker to David that even in his humanity, he still seeks God and is a, has a heart after God. How does David respond when he doesn't get his way? Wow, sometimes he does not do well. He blows it, Randy. You know, David's humanity gets the best of him. And, and he behaves in a way that's very much outside of, uh, uh, of the, the will of Yahweh for his life. Sometimes, man, he really botches things. Just like me. Yeah, just like me. Maybe just like you. Maybe like all of us, we do that too. But it's amazing how... Because David's... I, I think, Randy, his kind of the default setting inside of his heart is that he is chasing after Yahweh, that even after all his, his, his mess-ups and mumbles and stumbles and bumbles and all the ways that David loses it, he comes back around and he seeks back after Yahweh. Uh, Randy, I, I am, have always been taken by Psalm 73. And it, it's a brilliant example, by the way, of an Israeli mindset toward worship and toward following Yahweh. Uh, in in ancient Israeli teaching, Yahweh is a God above all gods. 
He's the Lord above all lords. He's the king above all kings. And if you compare Yahweh as a god with other gods, remember they were lived in a very pluralistic, pluralistic <laughs> let me try that again, pluralistic society. There you go. Because they lived in that pluralistic society and polytheistic society, many gods and many, many worldviews, you know, Yahweh was like a competing god with other gods. But in ancient Israeli teaching, he is the god above all gods. There's no greater god than Yahweh God, okay? And the others are just idols, okay? God is a jealous god. He doesn't want David running to the local Baal, local cult and local pagan practices. He wants him to come to him. So he says in Psalm 55 that, that morning, noon, and evening, I will complain, I will murmur to God. There, there's a lot of wisdom in taking our God problems to God and not taking our God problems to people. Lots of wisdom in that. And when you do that, you, you see Psalm 73. Where, where David begins by saying, you know what, God, I got a problem here. Yahweh, you're blessing the wrong people. I've sacrificed everything to follow you. I deny myself everything. And I'm living this disciplined life, walking this very narrow path. And what do I get? Nothing. <laughs> and I look around the other people. They have no disciplines. They don't keep the rule. They act as though you don't even exist. And look at them. They got it good. The party's at their house. Meanwhile, I, I got nothing. And I'm not happy with you, God. I think you're blessing the wrong guy. And then David says, he gets honest. And Randy, he goes, but I look around. When I, when I went to the temple, I realized, God, you weren't getting it wrong. And I realized that they may have their time on earth now. But their way is dark, and it's downward, and it's a slippery slope into the judgment of hell. For those that do not know God, do not know Yahweh, and do not follow him. And, it, and Randy's like, the, and I know you know this, Randy. I know you. The light comes on, and David loops around, and he goes, it's like he goes, I get it. Who have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my life and my portion forever. David, even in his bipolar-esque swings of emotionality and doubt and confidence and faith, even in all those swings in David's life, he would always come around as a man after God's heart, and he would seek after Yahweh. And Randy, specifically, the pain and the struggle of praying in the name of God for a thing that would be in keeping with the biblical values of God. At this point, there are times when Isaiah 55 rings true. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. And how God can make things work out in the end is absolutely beyond me. But I know that his throne is established in righteousness and it is a throne of judgment. 
and he can judge between right and wrong, and his judgments are righteous, and they have equity, and he will right all wrongs. And Randy, somehow, some way, it's going to make sense in the end. Right now, it doesn't. On this side, it's hard, very, very hard. But it goes back to the point of trust. Even when our hearts are broken, because prayers that we think Jesus would move quickly to answer go unanswered, and it breaks our hearts. But we have to go back to that default setting. We must have a heart that seeks after God. And because we do know the sacred name of Yahweh, that we trust him and that we know he will not forsake us uh, when we seek him. That's a tough one, Randy. And that, that gets at the deep pain of what it means to be alive and human uh, on this place called Earth. And it hurts. Thank you so much. I know that was a big, long response. I know. Thank you for staying with me, though. Thank you, Randy, for asking those questions. Stephen, someone else? Anybody? Kayla? Yeah, there's a lot of comments. And so for those that are on Facebook, you have the privilege of seeing these comments written out. But there are those who are viewing um, via the app and also on the website. And there's not a comment section, uh, text section, section there. So uh, that's why we're reading these out loud. Um, <coughs> so there's several here, so I'm just going to read through these. David Fort says, David truly knew God because he would actually argue with him. He would cry to he would cry to him. He would talk to him daily, knowing he will be there to listen and comfort and answer, even if it wasn't the answer he wanted. Uh, Mason Collar, I can still believe that God's thoughts about me are dependent upon how I've been recently living. I can allow this to affect my belief, or if, or how he hears my prayers. Too often I let my beliefs of how righteous slash unrighteous I am determine his love for me. I know these are lies of the devil, but if I don't call them out, I can find myself believing them. Bruce Trice, we will naturally and literally move toward what we focus on. Race car drivers are told not to look at an accident or the wall because they'll drive right into it. 1 Corinthians 9.24 tells us, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us how. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Mm. Michael uh, replying to Bruce, can't tell you how many times when cycling, I turn back to check for traffic only to realize that I have now drifted into traffic. Um, Tiffany Bradbury says, we need to remember to have faith and trust in God that he will help get us through these hard times. And we just have to rely on him whenever we are feeling low and know that he still loves us. And she writes, by the way, Lex was calling Chris Jesus since we were saying that this was Jesus' lesson time. You know, it's about time somebody <laughs> appreciates me around here, you know. Uh, Thank you, Lex. I appreciate just a little you. little interjection. Be praying for Tiffany. She's uh, expecting to deliver their little one here any day now. Um, David Porter, John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. This always humbles me when I think about how, how to others, how to resolve others' conflict or to counsel someone toward truth. Mm -hmm. Julie Patterson, piggybacking on Michael's post about putting, our, uh, putting on our church face. Over the past few years, I've learned how not to do that, but it's hard to be real with other believers that show their game face. It'd be good to believe God's word and hopes for a better day, but not sharing is what 
is really going on within church family is a lie. We have to learn to trust God and the people he chose to put in our life. Um, Take it to God and be real with your brother and sisters in Christ. A couple more here. Randy Sharp, we can take our prayers to God in agreement with a multitude of other believers. Yes. And there are still times our prayers will not be answered for years. Yes. So we must remain faithful uh, by faith alone as we walk on this side of heaven. Mm. And I know Randy completely means what he just said there. Yes, thank you, Randy. Uh, Frank Franks, uh, this last one for right now. Uh, David, to me, doesn't seem bipolar. His behavior isn't really reflective of bipolar disorder. Everyone has those emotions and thoughts, and we all sin sometimes in huge ways and small ways. Now, so, now Saul, though, by his actions, saw one moment being soothed by David's music and the next hurling spears at him, very bipolar or schizophrenic. Uh, David, to me, seemed pretty steady in the accounts of his life, though. Even in spite of his sin, David has always been held up so highly as an example. Thank you, uh, Randy, again, and I agree with Stephen. Uh, Randy, I've had the privilege of hearing your heart and knowing your heart, and I know where that's coming from. Yeah, uh, Frank, thank you. No, uh, I wasn't referring to DSM, Diagnostic Criteria for Bipolar Disorder, although that's, that's good, though. Uh, and some have thought David was, in fact, suicidal and did have some struggles there. Uh, but bipolar-esque, as in bipolarity, going to two extremes. So, But thank you for bringing that out. And by the way, if you have any friends or family with bipolar, and I, and I do have dear clients uh, who suffer from those things, in no way was that meant in a derogatory way or belittling way uh, for those of us who do battle with uh, a true diagnosis of bipolar, uh, which can be... Uh, just a huge, huge battle. But thank you, Frank, for making that comment. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the, the great challenge for us right now is, um, you know, how do you seek after God? What, what do you do? Well, I, I want to read a verse. This is from John five forty four, And I think it's really, really very fitting for us right now. And watch how this ties... Seeking has to do with this verse. How can you believe, all right? How can you have faith when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Please get that. You know, if you really do have a heart after God and you really are seeking God, then that alters how you perceive people. If if people become your, your God, small g, if people become your God and you try to derive self-worth from them, now that's a self-esteem challenge, isn't it? Then you're going to be seeking glory and validation from humans. There's a point in which that is very real and very healthy and normal. But people, I'm telling, nothing's a substitute for God, Okay. People cannot be a substitute for God. Things cannot be a substitute for God. All right? Those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, Yahweh, you, Jehovah, will not cast out or reject anyone who seeks after you. A relationship with God must be number one in all things. 
which means God's opinion and God's glory has to be number one in our lives. I want, I want to share this. Um, uh, I, I know you know this. Um, to have a, a true relationship with God, that only happens through what is called uh, the new birth. Uh, John chapter 3, Jesus said, if you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. How are you born again? What, what happens? How, how, how does this take place? Well, it takes this place. The scripture says that you and I are created in the image of God, which means there's something magnificent about us, the human being. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says that God has set eternity in our hearts. Uh, think of it as the God-shaped hole in our hearts. Or think of it as the capacity for you and I as human beings to relate to God, to relate to Yahweh. It's a gift because we are made in his image. And because of that, like Adam and Eve, we are designed to walk with God in the most intimate, deep, and profound fellowship that we can't even get our minds around this thing. It is, it is amazing beyond words, and it's very real. But there is something that destroys that relationship, and that is called sin. And that is because God gave us this powerful gift of free will that we can actually choose to disobey God. We can choose another way. We can choose that I don't want to seek after God. I want to seek after myself or seek after other things or other people. And the scripture says that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, to... to completely agree with it, Ravi Zacharias, that the problem with sin isn't an external problem, it's an internal problem. There is something deeply broken inside of me, and I can't fix it myself. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. I'll never be, I'll never be a good Messiah. I can't fix myself. I've never been able to do that. And I think if you're like me, you'd say the very same thing. Sin separates. And sin brings a price tag that is horrific because the wages of sin is death. The wonderful news is that the free gift of God comes through Jesus Christ. It's something you don't earn. We are this new birth that we can experience is, is a gift. It's a gift experienced by faith and by grace. It's not by works that we've done that we can somehow kind of barter with God and I've done enough good things, now you owe me heaven. No, 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 it doesn't work that way at all. We are saved by grace through faith. It is the free gift of God, not based on works. So nobody can brag about it like they've bartered or made some kind of negotiation with God. It doesn't work that way. It is by grace through faith. How are you born again? You realize that your sin has separated you from God. And you realize that Jesus Christ died in your place. That means substitution. He died on the cross in your place for you. And that through his blood, we can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And Jesus Christ is the one that restores us to a relationship with, with God. He reunites us with our creator. There's, there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. To become born again is to realize that. 
and to realize that you can call upon the Lord. Whoever calls upon the Lord will not be disappointed. He will not cast out those who seek him. And when you do that and you believe that, he, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins in your place and that you can call upon him as Lord to come in, save you, cleanse you, and give you this new birth, you become, you become it's a mystery, but you become born again. And it is beautiful. I want that to happen to you. But it's a prayer from your heart that you have got to cry out to God for. In the name of Jesus, nobody can do it for you. Church membership doesn't give it to you. It is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, once you've been born again, the, the scripture's command is to be baptized. We're going to have a baptism celebration soon. We have two people that are going to be baptized. And if you've never been baptized, you need to do that. Let Stephen know. And we're going to let you know when we're going to have a baptism celebration. It's going to be at Galen and Tammy's Perkins house. It's going to be incredible. And uh, I, I want you to be a part of that. We'll be bringing people outside. It'll be outside so, so people can come. And it'll be an amazing time to celebrate the new birth that is taking place in these two people at Christ Church. So uh, do we have any other comments? Stephen, Philip, anything? I, I know we're, we've got so much yeah, happening here. Yeah, there's a few here. more. Uh, Michal, uh, replying to Frank, says, So it's normal to have emotions that vary over time due to circumstances. David stands out because he trusted God throughout his experiences, both pleasant and terrible. He doesn't deny what he's feeling. We shouldn't either. Uh, Philip Deere says, please don't forget that God knows you best. Remember that as you grow in knowing him, remember that. Um, and then Kayla, even though she's here sitting, <laughs> hey, Kayla. sitting a minimum of six feet behind me. <laughs> um, she is uh, a little shy and nervous uh, to be here, so um, I'm going to read what she what she has written. Chris, you are speaking truth. I've personally experienced feeling forsaken by God in the past. It's the worst feeling. Encouraging those struggling to continue persevering. He has not left your side. You are not alone. Prostrate yourself before him. Give him your heart. Run into his arms. Even though you don't feel he is, even though you feel he isn't there, he will speak to you. He loves you and always has. Kayla, thank you so much. Thank you, Kayla. I I have had those very feelings too, and it. You're right. It is the worst feeling. Yeah. Yep. Thank you so much for being here, Kayla. I I know of no one whose heart is as pure as yours. You are you are so precious. Thank you very much, Philip. How about you? How is God speaking to you right now? I just wanted to expound on my comment, and I'm glad to be here in Christ Church. It's good to uh, see you and respond. Um, and I think we read in Psalm nine that God is the, the authoritarian, and He and those who know Him uh, uh, have peace in that. And really. But yeah, I have to remember, and I hope y'all remember too, that we're made in God's image. Mm -hmm. And God doesn't give, um, he gives us reasoning that's similar to his. And so because of that, as we work with God, as we struggle with God, we know that God understands us the best. Um, and there's a couple stories I thought of, uh, like Jacob when he was uh, mm -hmm. running away yeah. and was wrestling with God. Yeah. Um, if you feel that you're, what your cause is righteous in, God will wrestle with you on that, and uh, you'll be humbled, but um, it's okay to wrestle with God. And then I also thought about um, 
the death of Lazarus and Martha and Jesus. And Jesus knew that Lazarus had to die, and he didn't want to see it happen. But he knew it had to happen for his greater good, and that yes. was a big turmoil. And uh, Martha is uh, pleading with him, saying, if you were here, you could have prevented all this. And uh, he said, well, what do you believe? And then she said, I believe you're the Lord. And so, like, even that salvation there was worth the pain. Mm. And as you grow and know God, uh, a good indicator of you knowing God is if you're changing. Um, if you're growing in your righteousness, yes. if you're growing in your faith, however small or great it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Philip, thank you so very, very much. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think of um, the story, Philip, of uh, the disciples in the boat and the storm hits, you know, and Jesus is asleep. How's that for an, an image of faith? He's sleeping in the storm. And the other guys in the boat are absolutely losing it. And they think they're going to die. And they wake him up. Don't you care? Don't you care that we're perishing? And, and he goes, uh, where's your faith? You know, where's your faith? All of these things, and Randy has pointed this out well, all these things come down to our capacity to trust. And trust is a word, a concept, very much related to faith. Uh, the ability to trust to faith, to have faith and put your trust in God. So those who know your name will put their trust in you. Christ Church, you who follow Jesus, thank you for trusting in the name, the name that is above all names. And I know that you know the difference between the name of God, Yahweh, and a common human name. There's a tremendous difference. I know you know that. And you can call on the name of the Lord in prayer. And we're even instructed to pray in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, and that is beautiful. Again, if you're taking your first steps toward faith and you realize that you don't have the new birth, I want you to text me, okay? Here's my number. You ready? Here's my cell phone. 501-940-1012. My personal cell phone. 501-940-1012. If you have a question about your faith, if you want to learn about the new birth, I want you to text me. And I want to show you more about what the scriptures say about becoming a follower of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've been born again, you need to be baptized, okay? And we're going to be scheduling this very, very soon and want you to be a part of that. Some of you are saying, Chris, when are we going to open up the church? I don't know. <laughs> it's tough. It's a tough one. And let me tell you how I feel. I feel like I've got some people on this side saying, look, pastor, if you don't open up the church yesterday, you don't believe in the U.S. Constitution, and you're a wimp. I got that. Was, what? I got that pressure. Then we've got the other pressure. Don't you open that church because if one of your church members dies, it's on your hands. <gasps> I don't want anybody to die, and I'm caught in the middle how do I protect people, and yet how do I honor our rights and our needs to meet as the body of Christ? Welcome to my world. 
I'm caught between the two, the, those two points of tension. I want you to know that we've got a leadership team at Christ Church of amazing people whose hearts and minds are set to make sure that the needs of the church are met. Now, that being said, we are moving toward opening. We have some here on Sunday mornings. We're keeping the numbers very low to manage. Also on Wednesday night, please come on Wednesday night. Please come uh, next Sunday morning. We're going to continue to do a live stream online. In fact, uh, this whole uh, pandemic has really changed the face of how we do life uh, in, in our culture. And we're going to continue to do on. Uh, online services but we're going to be going live uh, opening our doors soon we just got to do it in a way that it makes sense we've got so many babies and children here uh and and people that are very much in an at-risk category that uh if we open it's going to be really hard to control um if any of you mothers know how to control toddlers would you please let me know uh, we need to get it copyrighted as quickly as possible and get it published, all right? Um, we want to make sure we can do this in a way that it is conducive. I'm so grateful for Pastor Stephen, by the way. Stephen said, you know, Chris, even though this isolation is frustrating, no one is asking to compromise our faith. This isn't about communist indoctr- indoctrination. It's not what this thing's about. It's about a massive inconvenience and a massive upset to our daily lives, but our faith has not been taken from us. We're not under persecution. We're under frustration, not persecution, okay? And I know it's hard. And I've, op- I've gotten honest with you because I am not doing well. Uh, I, I am all about people and caring for people. And uh, it wasn't for my 25, 30 wonderful clients that I see on a week-to-week basis. I'd be in, I'd be in inpatient care somewhere. I need people. That's how God's made me. And a pastor in isolation, those two things don't fit. I need you. I Listen, Christchurch, I need you, okay? You listening? Are you listening online? I need you. And I need you to walk with me, with us through this, okay? It's hard. It's hard on me. I'm not happy. I'm not doing well with this stuff. And I'm walking with faith. And sometimes it's white-knuckled faith. Okay, Julie, the fact that you're here this morning, thank you. That means so very, very much. Tiffany, you're great with child. You're ready to have a baby. I know that. Thank you for being so faithful. Uh, I appreciate it. Listen, we got to sing. we got to worship. You guys are incredible. Thank you for every comment, every point of wisdom and counsel that you have given, all of you. Thank you. It means so much. And uh, Schedule a watch party. There are people that need to hear what we've covered this morning, and um, we need to do this. So let's break bread together. The scriptures are very clear that the body of Christ observes this, this ordinance, this command of the Lord Jesus, because it is a reminder of that one moment in history when everything changes, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And when we follow him, we are commanded to reflect on and remember what the death of Jesus is about. So the scripture says that when Jesus was betrayed during the night of the great scandal of the betrayal by Judas Iscariot, it says that Jesus took bread 
And it, the scripture says that he broke the bread. And this is a symbolic act that his body was broken. His flesh was torn. It was broken. And the scripture says that he took bread, broke it, and he passed it about. And he said to, to his disciples, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Let's do this after I pray. Abba, Father, we love you and we thank you. And our life depends on the life we find in your son, Jesus. And so we take the bread to remember. Amen. Let's take the bread. Mason Collar, thank you for what you said. We can believe Satan's lies and we can think that somehow we can be our own saviors, we can fix ourselves, but we can't. The scriptures make it clear, Mason, that Jesus took the cup after supper and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And it is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so we take the cup and we remember. Let me pray. Abba, Father, we take the cup and we say thank you that we know what it means to be clean. We know what it means to be pure because the blood of your son has washed us and removed from us the guilt of our sin. We say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the cup together. We're going to worship now and enjoy the privilege of singing songs. Lyrics not unlike the Psalms, trying to find the words that say thank you to God for all that he's accomplished in us, a gift beyond anything we could imagine. Christchurch, stand, get ready to worship with Stephen, please. Thank you so much. <laughs>